We're continuing our journey through the Advent story, and today we'll be reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, beginning with verse 39. But before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you and we thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 39. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their throne and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. My father has always been a very careful driver. And in fact, when he taught me how to drive, he told me that he had only been pulled over one time in his life. This was the story. He was coming home from college for the holidays, and as he was driving a little bit too fast down a county road in Ware County, Georgia, he saw the blue lights behind him and pulled over. The officer came up, did the usual, asked for his license and registration, and after looking at his license, he noticed his last name, and he asked my father, perchance are you related to Ernest Clayton, the, the detective in Waycross, Georgia? My father was hoping to avoid this, but he admitted, yes, that's my father. After looking at him for a minute, he said, ah, yes, now I see the resemblance. I'm going to tear up this ticket, because when you get home, you will be in enough trouble. Well, oddly enough, uh, a few months after I heard that story, I was driving through the streets of Greer, South Carolina, maybe just a dash over the speed limit. 
And I was pulled over as well, the usual license and registration. I shared those things with the police officer, but then I remembered the story that my father had told, and I thought, well, maybe it could help me too. So I told the officer, sir, I don't know if you know Buddy Clayton, the pharmacist, but that's my father. The officer looked at my license and then looked at me and he said, oh yes, I see the resemblance. By the way, your brake light is out, I'll add that to your ticket. <laughs> sometimes it pays to know who your parents are, and sometimes it doesn't pay to know who your parents are. Well, I don't know if you've noticed as we've gone through the Advent story, but we know a lot about the family of Joseph. In fact, when the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke, we know Joseph's family all the way back to, to Abraham in one case, all the way back to Adam in another. We, we know who his father was, his grandfather was. We know who Joseph's family is, but that's not the case for Mary. We know very little about Mary's family, at least from Holy Scripture. Now, there are some non-canonical sources, and our friends in the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church will tell us that, that Mary's mother was named Anne, and they may have even been related to the, the kings of Israel as well, but that's not included in Scripture. In our Scripture, in fact, there's only one family member until Mary has children. There's only one family member that we know about that is related to Mary, and that is her relative, Elizabeth, from the story I read this morning. We don't know much about Elizabeth either, but I dare say as we read this Scripture, we might be able to see a little family resemblance between Elizabeth and Mary. Now, we don't know exactly. We often think that Mary went to see Elizabeth because Elizabeth, miracle of miracles, was pregnant herself. We know she was a good bit older than Mary. Mary was probably a teenager at a time, and, and she may have been going to, to help Elizabeth during her pregnancy. But if Mary's world was anything like our world, maybe she was going for a different reason. Because you see, Mary had a secret of her own. Mary was pregnant. Angel Gabriel, in the passage just before this one, had come to Mary and told her that she was about to have a child. And it says in that passage that Mary was greatly perplexed by this news. I got a feeling that's a bad translation. Mary was terrified. Her world was about to come crumbling down. Her relationship with Joseph was probably at an end. She was about to be despised and rejected and bring shame to her family. Maybe she went to see Elizabeth to, to keep this unsanctioned pregnancy quiet, secret, for just a little bit longer. But when we, she gets to see Elizabeth, when she gets to Elizabeth's house, Elizabeth can tell. The Holy Spirit comes upon her, and as soon as Mary comes through the threshold, she can tell that Mary is carrying a child. And that's when we start to see the family resemblance because Elizabeth doesn't greet her by despising her or rejecting her. No, Elizabeth throws the doors wide open and says, you are a blessed woman. And that child in your womb is blessed too. She welcomes Mary with open arms and gives her the gift of courage and grace that family resemblance that we will see again and again in Mary's family. 
Every time I read this story, in fact, it reminds me of a story I've told you before that Fred Craddock told in, in his sermons. It was a story about a, a church where he worked in Oklahoma, and a, a young woman in that church who had always given her parents a hard time, was a, a problem child of problem childs, always in trouble, sometimes in trouble with the law. Finally, uh, that little girl had been sent away to a boarding school, and news got back to the town that while she was gone, she had gotten pregnant. The town and the church even started gossiping about her, about what had happened to her. And finally, news came that she was coming, coming back home and going to bring that new baby with her. Well, as only Fred can tell it, he said that even though everybody didn't want to go and, and visit the family, they all happened to be outside doing their yard work on the day that she drove into town. Sure enough, even Fred, though he didn't go by the house, he decided he would mow his lawn just to see what happened when this young girl came home. She drove into her driveway, got out of the car carrying her new baby, and before she can even get off the driveway, her mother came running out of the house, threw her arms around her daughter, grabbed that baby and kissed it and welcomed them home. Sure enough, other cars drove in behind them bringing food and casseroles and they had a, a big banquet right there in their house while everyone in the neighborhood stood and watched. In those moments, Fred said, I saw grace upon grace, this gift of grace for a woman who was being gossiped about, who was despised and rejected, but not by her family. They welcomed her home, giving her grace giving her courage. When we look closely at Mary and Elizabeth, we can see Elizabeth giving those same gifts to Mary, that family resemblance. And what does Mary do with that grace and that courage? She takes it and writes a song. A song that we sometimes sing this time of year. We call it the Magnificat. It's a beautiful song, a joyful song, but... Maybe we don't know it, or if you don't know it or not, it's also a revolutionary song. Dietrich Bonhoeffer called it a revolutionary song. It was so powerful, in fact, that when Martin Luther retranslated the Bible into German, he chose to leave that part in Latin because it knew, he knew it was so revolutionary that it would upset the powers that be. This song of courage and grace. Grace for the people in the world who were lowly and needed grace. And courage to stand up, for those, stand up to those people in the world who were powerful and wealthy and ignored the lowly. She sang that song filled with grace and courage that she had experienced from Elizabeth. And if we look closely we might be able to see how she passed that grace and courage on to someone else. You see, when we think about Jesus Christ, we often think about the family resemblance between Jesus and God the Father. All the amazing things, the miraculous things that Jesus does. But let us not forget the family resemblance between Jesus and Mary. Because you see, when you read this song that she sings, you can see in your mind, picture in your mind the things that Jesus did. When she sings that song about those who are hungry being full, we can imagine Jesus feeding the 5,000 or welcoming people to the table, sitting down with tax collectors and sinners and 
breaking bread with them. When she sings about humbling the powerful, we can remember that Jesus told stories about the good Samaritan, not the good, the good Pharisee. And he called people to be with him like humble fishermen and tax collectors, not the powerful kings and princes and, and wealthy people of the world. She sings this song. Maybe this wasn't the last time she sang this song. Maybe it was a song that echoed in Jesus' mind as he went throughout the world and did his ministry, lifting up the lowly and calling out the people in power. You can see that family resemblance if you just look at how he lived his life, the courage and the grace of Elizabeth and Mary and Jesus. Well, that family resemblance is not supposed to stop with Jesus, but believe it or not, if we claim to be the family of faith, that resemblance should pass on to us as well. When we show courage, when we show grace, when we show mercy to people in the world, we are carrying on that family resemblance that was passed on from generation to generation. Think about the people in your life. When you look at them, maybe you think of them as resembling the grace of God. Those people around us who are kind and generous. Those people around us who sacrifice for others. Those people around us who love their neighbor as themselves. And you can see there's a family resemblance there. They look like Elizabeth. They look like Mary. They look like Jesus. I'm indebted to a good friend of mine named Katie. She's a chaplain in Atlanta. She told me this sweet story about a time she was doing a chaplain service at a, at a health center at a retirement community up in Atlanta. It was a, a small service. She did it every so often, but not many people came to it. In fact, on this one particular day, only three people came to the service. There was a, an older man named Alan who had, was very lucid and his mind was still there, but his, physically he was very much struggling. And then on the on the other hand, there was a woman named Joyce who was the exact opposite. Physically, she was in pretty good health, but she was suffering from dementia, and it was hard for her to remember even the most basic things. And then finally, there was a third person, them, or a woman named Eunice, who was basically nonverbal, just sat in her wheelchair. She was brought there by her caregiver named Selma. She decided on this day of chapel that she was going to bring a picture of Jesus with her, a picture that had hung in Sunday school classes all over the, the, the country. Maybe you had seen it before. It's a picture of Jesus kneeling and praying, and the, the light is shining on his face, and you can see his beautiful eyes and his, his beautiful hair, and it's one that shows the holiness and the majesty of Jesus. She thought it might remind these older adults of a simpler time when they could go to Sunday school, and she showed it to each of them, asking, if they knew who it was. Well, Joyce immediately said, yes, I know that's Jesus. You must have taken that from my church. I remember seeing that as a child. That's Jesus, my Savior. Alan looked at it, though, and he said, no, that's not Jesus. Jesus was from the Middle East. He had dark hair. He had dark eyes. He didn't look like that at all. My picture of Jesus is of someone more like from the Middle East than this white person you have in the picture. And then trying to include Eunice, she showed the picture to Eunice and said, Eunice, what does Jesus look like to you? Without muttering a word, Eunice just pointed to Selma. Well, Kate thought for a minute she must not understand what she's 
saying, I was trying to include her, but it must, not, must just be going over her head. But then after a few minutes, she watched as Selma helped to feed lunch to Eunice, giving her a fork full of food one by one by one, wiping her mouth and keeping her face clean. She helped Eunice go to the bathroom when she needed to go to the bathroom, and then she helped clip Eunice's fingernails so that Eunice wouldn't scratch herself. And after just a few minutes, Kate realized, I see a resemblance. I see a resemblance to Jesus Christ by the way this woman serves this person in need. Who are those people in the world where you see that resemblance? That resemblance to Jesus and the people who show grace and mercy and love to their neighbor. Well, if we are called upon and we promise to be the family of faith like we just made those promises a minute ago, then people should see that resemblance in us. When we go out into this Advent world and stand up for those people who can't stand up for themselves, when we go out into the world and feed those people who are hurting, when we go out into the world and honor people, not because they're wealthy or powerful, but because they are loved children of God. There's no greater gift than to simply include people in the family of faith to remind them that they belong, to remind them that they matter, to remind them to, that they resemble the God above. I've shared with you this benediction before. It was by a minister named Gary Bullard. He would always end his services by saying, may the one who walks on wounded feet walk with you on your way. May the one who serves with outstretched hands stretch out your hands in service. May the one who loves with unconditional love fill your hearts with such love. And as you go from this place, may you see the face of Christ in every person you meet. And may every person you meet see Christ in you. As we go out into this Advent world, as we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves, as we go out to this world and serve those people who are hungry and lost and alone and the least in this world, they may ask us, why in the world are you doing this? And we will respond because we're children of God. We're disciples of Jesus Christ. And the greatest blessing we might have is for them to respond, Ah, I see the resemblance to the glory of God. Amen.